On this week's episode of the podcast, I have a story that sprawls continents, oceans, centuries, and some of the most famous names that you can think of. And still, I think that not a lot of people have heard of this guy. Kyle Beckerman. (laughs) Uh, Just dreadlocks that just cross borders, you know? (laughs) The Kyle Beckerman story is not the story you'll hear today, but... It is a very interesting one, so buckle up, because this is Dead Ball Brothers. Welcome to Dead Ball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy dose of stupidity. Part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and brought to you by your favorite soccer hosts, to ever exist me the person speaking to you currently soccer appreciator hat lover dog liker in all things adam whitaker snavely dog liquor joined as always by my dog liker dog liker let's pronounce that right and the other person on this call my real life brother drew snavely and adam i do have to say is it coming home and by me asking <laughs> is it coming home I mean, of course, is Manchester United winning the trouble this year, as okay. many people oh. are, are saying might happen. I, I, I mean, yeah, one game against Leeds United. Good job. Oh, man. You, guys, you guys really did uh, put up a lot of goals against a team that last year either won by a million or lost by a million, almost always. You know what? A win's a win. Injected into my veins. Reggie scored. <laughs> okay. I mean the Bruno hat trick. Mason I mean the, it was it was really the Pogba Greenwood. show. It was the Pogba show for sure. It was the Pogba show, but there was also some excellent finishing. He was oh, putting, yeah. he was putting the guys in the right places, but I don't know if you saw X Greenwood's goal. I did see ex-Jesus' goal himself. It was a very typical not-good-XG goal from Mason Greenwood. <laughs> I don't know how the kid does it. It's, it's absolutely wild. I love him so much. I mean, hey. I, I mean, there's... I, I talked to a bunch of, like, the analytics guys. I'm friends with a bunch of those on uh, Twitter. And a big thing with a lot of them is that finishing kind of doesn't exist, or at least to the point where, generally speaking most people's goal-scoring rate over time will trend much closer to their expected goals rate, So, which suggests that finishing isn't really a thing at the top levels of the game, and Mason Greenwood is just one of those people that I'm like, ah, maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is well, a thing. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> Because he does, he just he's he scores stupid goals. Like that shouldn't have worked. There's no way that should have worked. Yeah, kid's 19 years old. I mean, what what is going on? I also you have like guys like Erling Holland who are just like anytime he gets the ball within 18 (laughs) yards, it seems to find the back of the net, and it's just that is that is true. But I think that Erling Holland tends to produce higher quality XG chances. That's true. Simply because of how good he is in transition and 
how fast he is. Um, he clocked a speed faster than Alfonso Davies in wow. the opening Bundesliga okay. weekend, I'm pretty sure. Wow. And, uh, yeah, people, people kind of you – know, I, I think that people know that Erling Holland is fast, but I think they discount just how fast he is because of how tall he is and he doesn't look necessarily like fast guy, you know? He kind of runs forward like like RoboCop a little bit. Like, well, like or there's there's a lot of things that seem artificial about Erling Holland, just in terms of the way that he is built up and the things that he can do. Like, it just feels almost like Terminator like. Yeah, a lot I, of the time. I was gonna say he's a pretty big dude, and so I think generally when you see a big guy, you're like, this dude is fast. But it turns yeah, out, er- in fact, that he is. In in fact, fast. Some Erling Holland's top speed is is wild. Very fast, very so, rapid. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Some <laughs> might say that indeed, but but I think that because so many of his chances are built on those transition opportunities and transition opportunities that he even creates because he's so fast and can force mistakes because defenders aren't expecting to have to react as quickly as they do to Holland and how he pressures people. I think that his XG per shot probably blows Greenwoods out of the water because because yeah he is he is great at finishing off plays but he's also almost always shooting in really good spots inside the box the majority of the time or uh, in like one v one situations with the keeper. No, you're definitely right. Um, I think Greenwood just kind of settles for taking a really bad angle instead of taking a defender directly on and. It's because he knows that he has the sauce. He's got I, the finishing I have, sauce. Yeah, I have said this about multiple people and on in multiple occasions, but just like sometimes there is no substitute for like just kicking the absolute piss out of the ball. And Mason Greenwood has that. You're so right. He does. He does. I am so right. You know, you know, I think it's good for me to for us to recognize my correctness on this show. <laughs> Adam, it is so good to have the European Soccer League back in action. I know Dortmund started off on a good foot. Manchester United started off on a good foot. We're feeling a great good. start to the season for both of our teams. A it was super nice. I know my fantasy Premier League team scored 112 points. Hot I'm, dang. I'm sitting at 35,000 overall in the standings mm. out of almost 7 million people. I feel pretty good about think- that. I think I got like 87 or 88 points, which is like kind of respect, fairly, fairly respectable. Oh, absolutely. Um, Any, anytime you cross the, the 75 threshold, I think is a very solid week. Both of us had both Mo Salah and Bruno Fernandez in our teams. Mm-hmm. And both of us, I think, chose to captain Salah instead of Fernandez. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, ultimately a six point difference because. Which isn't. That's not bad. You can't complain when no, you're it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. Returns as much as what Salah did. After Bruno scored a hat trick and I didn't captain him, I was like, "Oh, great! Salah is going to come in here and play, drop a classic two pointer, and get a yellow card and <laughs> <laughs> score zero points. <laughs> score zero points. They <laughs> score an own goal, negative. Uh, but but no, no, Salah had a very good game as well." And we had a rip-roaring start to WTF3L, all like all in all. 
I think I'm I'm in a, a really good spot right now. Third overall in our in our league standings. I feel I feel pretty good about that. Here's the thing: you always start hot. You always start off really really well, and then in the back half of the season, that's when I catch you. You know, this season's different. I'm pacing myself. <laughs> it is wild though because this year we were separated. I beat you by one point you this did. last season. And I think the season before that, you ended up only beating me by like 11 points or something yeah. like that. We always end up really close together. Yeah, the Snavely Derby is always very, very tight. Always a, yeah. an exciting affair. The Adam and Drew Snavely Derby. The Adam and Luke slash Drew and Luke Snavely Derby was not as exciting last year. No. It's kind no. of like... It's kind of like we're like the Timbers in Seattle. I think I've said this before. I think that we're we're the the Portland Timbers and Seattle Sounders, and then Luke is like the Vancouver Whitecaps. Well, and it's I, like yeah, technically there's a rivalry there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say like me and you are like actual top six clubs, and then Luke's like Arsenal, where he wants to feel like. <laughs> A top six club, but in reality, West Ham are better. <laughs> Arsenal and Tottenham really tried to start the Super League. <laughs> they really tried to, both of them, they tried to do that. Arsenal, they were just going to be in the Super League forever. That's it, wild. It was their only hope. It was their only hope. <laughs> but Tottenham showed out the first, the first week and put up a big Tottenham, result against Man City. Beating Tottenham, them 1-0. Did show out. Also, Man City looked like I don't even know what to call their performance. They looked a little confused, almost like it's just kind of like they they didn't know how to stop Tottenham's transition game, which was like going into it. It was basically like, okay, well, they have uh, Youngman Son, so you know that they're going to try to hit really, really quickly. That is going to be how they attack. Also. They're, co- they're coached by Nuno now, who uh, his Wolves teams were incredibly defensive. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. It's like so. Basically, like just just watch out for Hyung and Son. Yeah, and that didn't happen. That did not happen at all. They did not watch out for Hyung and Son. Well, I will say that Spurs, for the most part, the people that were playing for them in the Man City match didn't have many people that played a lot of international soccer over the summer break whereas man city virtually everybody involved with their team was at the euros that's fair some of them even at the olympics so i think there's at still least a- none of them I, I was just gonna say at least none of them uh took on pedri's workload <laughs> it's true pedri pedri and richarlison those are the two guys that it seemed like I think they played in every single competition and game that they could this summer. It's true. Uh, and Richarlison is still balling out. I mean, he's I hope, banging in I goals. Hope he, I hope he, he makes it through without a big injury or something like that just because I'm, he's played so much. So, so much. Uh, on so many different continents, kind of like what you're <laughs> alluding to in a little the bit. introduction. 
A little bit. That's so, that's the segue that we're that we're needing. That's the segue think, we're looking for. Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I think that it's time that uh, we bless bless our listeners' ears with bless the folk. A, a doozy of a story. Absolutely. All right. So, Drew. Yes. I kind of went into this. Was like starting writing it, thinking about what we do with the podcast and why it's important or, or, or why I think that the things that we're talking about are in some way important because ultimately like making the podcast, I don't want to, at some point we won't be doing this podcast, you know, like, like we're not going to do this podcast for the rest of our days. I would imagine. You don't know um, that, I don't know that you're right. I don't know that at all, but I was thinking, <laughs> And I said, you know, we like to, we, when we do stories, we, we kind of intentionally look for the funny or the weird ones. We like stories that aren't commonly told or ones that uh, like a lot of people know about, uh, simply because those are the ones that become more interesting. It's not as fun to not be constantly like learning new things, uh, and I'd like to think this podcast, which we've repeatedly described on the podcast as a series of fun facts in a row. <laughs> um, it's true. I like to think that this podcast can serve as something of a, a time capsule for those weird and obscure stories and stuff that happened. So this one, I don't think is particularly strange, um, but it's huge in scope. And, and I wanted to do this one because I couldn't, believe I didn't know this when I learned this fairly recently. Uh, and given all of my particular interests, I was like, how, how did I not know this? This is, this is wild that this is the case. Um, was basically what I kept coming back to as I was doing this story. But this is a story uh, much like our lab, last episode that we recorded that begins in Scotland. 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 Uh, This one is not particularly strange, I think, Uh, again, but it begins in Scotland. This one, however, begins in 1756. Hot dang. That's a while ago. Hot. That is is commonly a, a a lot longer ago than a lot of our stories. Um, in 1756, a man named Alexander Heron was born. Heron was a man of means, and like many in the British Isles at the time, he saw potential in North America. That was just that's that's almost like, you know, former soccer players getting an assistant coach job somewhere. That just makes sense. Yeah, no, that a hundred percent makes sense. So in adulthood, he and his son, Alexander Woodburn Heron, sailed across the Atlantic to establish large plantation holdings in Jamaica, where the elder Alex Heron eventually died as one of the wealthiest uh, slave owners in Jamaica. The Heron line continued on both sides of the Atlantic, and from the family history and genealogy records I looked at, the first mention of people in the Heron family being labeled as colored uh, comes at the tail end 
of the second generation after the original Alex Heron. Um, Alexander Woodburn Heron had children from at least seven different women, according to the things that I saw. Uh, he was a plantation holder and a slave owner. We know that at least one of his children was deemed colored when they were christened. So can't know for certain what his exact relationships were with all these women uh, because I can't find that in like historical fact, but draw your own conclusions. Yeah, the conclusions are, I'm not going to say what I want to say, but it's messed up. That those are the conclusions. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those those are the conclusions. Um, that is ultimately very important to note for this story, though. The Heron family, who came to Jamaica from Scotland, became more and more a black family with each passing generation. Um, that became the Heron line in Jamaica. The Heron family... Uh, It continued on for generations in Jamaica until April 9th, 1922. Let me skip forward about a century and a half. Where uh, Gilbert St. Elmo Heron, which is just a heck of a name. (laughs) Just a lot of name happening there. Oh my gosh, so much name. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Gilbert Heron was born in Kingston, Jamaica to parents Walter Gilbert and Lucille. They were a pretty well-off family uh, still, and Gilbert, who was nicknamed Giles and also Gil in his lifetime, uh, was a great athlete. As a schoolboy, he attended the prestigious St. George's College in Kingston, which is a secondary school, which in America would be like high school. Um, And yeah, and winning tournaments and prizes for his play on the soccer field while he was in St. George's College. He was also known for his skill as a track runner and also as a boxer. So he was just a phenomenal all-around athlete, basically. Very well-rounded, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was also known for the, those, those sports, but soccer was kind of his like first love. And that was, that was the thing he really, really was super passionate about. He wanted to play soccer. After finishing secondary school, Gill moved to Canada, where he joined the Canadian Air Force and fought in World War II. Uh, so already we have a pretty big, <laughs> that's a pretty big leap that was made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> you know, it's just like casual um, armed service duty. Why not? It just happens. <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah, I couldn't find if I couldn't actually find if he was enlisted or drafted. I wasn't sure. I don't even know if Canada ever had a draft. They seem like, given their reputation currently, they wouldn't they wouldn't be a drafty type of country. They seem they seem nicer than that in general. Like yeah, I mean, I guess if if you guys want to go fight, uh, we'll we'll set something up. But uh, nobody's nobody's making <laughs> you go. Uh, a. Uh, <laughs> We're just uh, we're just out here loving everyone, eh? <laughs> and that's that's uh, canon for all Canadians. <laughs> that's what they say. Oh gosh. Uh, so Canada 
was where he started making a name for himself in the world of professional soccer, however. And soon enough, he made his way to Detroit to take part in the North American Soccer Football League. The N-A-S-F-L. S-F-L. Well, just a great acronym. I appreciate how it feels like it. It combines like all the American soccer league names that have ever existed. You just need like major, oh. the major North American soccer football. Yeah, league. yeah, all encompassing, a, a masterpiece. What incredible, incredible work to name that league. <laughs> Great branding all around. Um, that league only operated for two seasons <laughs> in 1946. And 1947, uh, oh, excuse me, Gill played for the Detroit Wolverines in the NASFL, uh, and he played center forward and helped lead the Wolverines to the first ever NASFL league title as the leading scorer for the club. Oh, very nice. I mean, this guy's no no uh, pushover. <laughs> I mean, he's... He's doing the work for the team, and they're winning the league because of it. This is very true. Uh, soon after that, the league folded, <laughs> and Heron moved to play for Detroit Corinthians in the American Soccer League. Uh, that was not the only team named Corinthians that he played for. He never played for the Brazilian one. It was all American teams that were named City Corinthians or Canadian teams that were city Corinthians. That's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) That was just a popular name. It's a great name. It really Um, is a great name. So that's a cool one. Gil continued to play and impress around that general area for other clubs as well. Uh, He made appearances professionally for the Chicago Maroons, Chicago Sparta, and back in Canada with the Windsor Corinthians just across the border from Detroit uh, because Windsor and Detroit, Canada are are literally a river apart from each other. Um, And they're the two Corinthians teams where one was in Detroit and one was in Windsor. Oh, gosh. Uh, That is pretty wild. It was with the Windsor Corinthians that Gill made a couple of all-star teams. Ooh. One such team played a match against England, <laughs> who were traveling, who, were, who just happened to be in the area yeah, what the <laughs> doing heck? a tour. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're just there. Uh, they were traveling and playing games in North America. Uh, the Essex All-Stars, which was the name of the All-Star team, they lost that match 9-2 to because uh, it was England in the 50s slash like late 40s. So they were just gods among men, essentially. With really short shorts. <laughs> the shorts, the shorts, let me tell you. <laughs> well, in the 50s, I don't even, I don't actually remember. I don't know if they were like short, short in the 50s. I don't, I don't know. Um, one such team, nope, that, I already said that. They lost that match 9-2, to two, but yes. Gill impressed in that match, notching an assist and fearlessly running at players with the ball. All of that, all of that background to say Gil Heron was making a legitimate name for himself in the Midwest and Canada, specifically kind of the northern Midwest. You got Chicago, but then a lot of Detroit. 
a lot of teams around Michigan, actually into Canada, all that stuff. He was making a name for himself, and it wasn't long before word got out. Uh, mm. Perhaps most importantly, when you're thinking about when you're thinking about just soccer players and and the ability that they have. Gil knew how to be dangerous and consistently score goals. Like he was a goal scorer. And that's something that's literally never gone out of style. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, you need people that can just score. That is the point yes, of the game. Somebody who can smash it into the back of the net. It's it. It's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need, Mike. At that time, Celtic Football Club, who are pronounced Celtic football club not celtic to were known to make frequent tours not celtic not celtic <laughs> they were known to make frequent tours and trips to the united states and canada where they also scouted teams they played for talent um this is i they i i feel the need to say this they earnestly scouted and, and tried to sign players too because I feel like we hear about teams making like scouting trips, air quotes, to <laughs> regions and countries that are less known for producing talent. Yes, and we're like, yes. oh, yeah, they're totally scouting. Uh, like, it's just kind of silly, like a lot of the time it feels. Um, but they actually did sign a North American player previous to this in 1931 there was a Canadian goalkeeper who was playing for Massachusetts-based club, Fall River FC, and they played a friendly against Celtic, and he stood on his head, and Celtic signed him, and he stayed in Glasgow for eight years and logged 250 appearances. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's He's like, a, oh. A Celtic legend. Yeah, he kind of became like a, like a huge thing. That's a big deal. So, yes, there was actually scouting hero. happening. Oh, we the the word cult hero will will be used more than one time in this podcast episode. Rest assured. Amazing. Um, so yes, there was actually scouting happening, and there were actual success stories too. Celtic never played any of Gil Heron's teams in North America, but they did play teams that routinely played against him. And it seems that when Celtic scouts asked about players to look for in the region, everyone had nothing but praises for Gil Heron. And so, 1951, Gil Heron received an invitation to travel to Glasgow to compete in preseason trials for the Scottish Giants. Okay. Not bad. Not bad, Not at, bad all. at all. Not bad at all. And that is how we get to hear a couple hundred years after Alexander Heron left Scotland for Jamaica, the Jamaican Gilbert Heron left North America for Scotland. And we are back for the second half of this podcast. Adam, you were just about to explain to all of us... (laughs) Gil Heron and his yep. trial with not Celtic, but Celtic. <laughs> now, yes, you know, there are, there are a lot of people that do say Celtic. It's a pretty common <laughs> misconception, I think. It, but 
is it? Obviously, we know here as huge, huge soccer fans that it is obviously pronounced Celtic. Obviously. Obviously pronounced Celtic. No other way that you could pronounce that word. Um, So, yes, that is where the story was going. And I wanted to start with a word, uh, maybe some good news, if you will, about Celtic. A word about Celtic at the time. The 40s and 50s were before the time of big formal standardized European club competition. Uh, the European Cup, which would eventually turn into the Champions League that we know and watch today, wasn't actually founded until 1955. That was the first European Cup championship that was held. So we're still four years away from that when Gil Heron goes and tries out for Celtic. But... In 1953, it's only like a couple years before he gets there. In 1953, Celtic won a one-off tournament called the Coronation Cup, which was a tournament to honor Elizabeth II being crowned Queen of England because that had just happened. A uh, little history. Yeah, yeah, seriously. That's a, that's a fun fact if I've ever heard one. There you go. They won the eight-team tournament by defeating Arsenal 1-0 in the quarterfinal round. Uh, Manchester United, a team you may have heard of. I don't know. You, you, might, have, you may have heard of that, that's, that squad. They beat them 2-1 in the semifinals and finally defeated fellow Scottish club Hibernian in the final. Yeah, Hibs made the final, who had themselves beaten Tottenham, LOL, and Newcastle to get there. And rough go for the Premier League, for, for yeah, the they, for the English first division clubs. Yeah, yeah, the English teams went down bad. Uh, so, so yes, Celtic were a pretty big deal at the time. They, you could say they were one of the best teams in Britain easily, which means you could also easily say at the time they're one of the best teams in the world. Like that's not except a they never won a European Championship, but you know. <laughs> Just trying to anger the Scots now. Just, just trying to make those people mad. Well, they already hate me because I said Celtic like eight times in the last That's podcast. Fair. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> um, so Gil gets to Glasgow and immediately impresses upon joining Celtic for his trial. He actually played in a preseason match that was ult- open to the public at Celtic Park. And scored a brace in his in this like first he just got here. This is his first like any sort of match. Not a bad way to announce yourself. Nope, not. I at would all. honestly recommend more players to do something like that. Score a couple <laughs> glo- goals, win over the crowd. You know, see, it seems so seems, obvious. It seems like it works a lot of the time <laughs> that it happens, and the guys that don't score. On their debut, it's like, mm. like Jaden Sancho. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't know. I don't know about him. I don't know, about I don't him. know if this guy's going to work out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he scores a brace. Everybody is very, very impressed with him. His speed is just unmatched on the field, leading Celtic fans to nickname him the Black Arrow, which became kind of his famous nickname that he acquired. Um, can it just be the arrow? We'll get to I feel that. Like you can't, We're about, 
I was going to say, I feel like you can't just say the Black Arrow and not like go into that. Well, yeah, he was called the Black Arrow for the same reason that all the people that were nicknamed the Black Panther were nicknamed the Black Panther. You know, Nicholas Bentner was never the Black Panther. No. no. Yeah, it's a very good it's a very good point that you make. Yes. Um and it's the 50s, so it's like this is we we can't we can't expect to get even remotely close to the nitty-gritty on like racism and microaggressions in the 1950s in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, no. And um, we're really not qualified to speak on such topics. Not other at all. Than the fact that it's super messed up. It is. Yep. Super messed up. Um, so all of this happens and Gil earns himself a spot in Celtics squat. On August 18th, 1951, Gilbert Heron became the first black player to appear in an official match for Celtic football club in a Scottish cup game against Greenwich, Greenwich, Greenwich Morton FC. I think this contradicts my last story then. Cause I said that Graham Sunis signed the first ever black player for Celtic. Oh yeah. Well, I don't think Graham Sunis signed this guy. That I we have contradicting information. Dang possibly. Uh oh. Uh oh. I'm pretty sure mine is correct, but at the very at least yours was a. Uh, not even really a part of the story per se. It was just a, a fun fact that was thrown in. Should have just left it out. Ah, bummer. Well, <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? But yes, uh, Gil Heron becomes the first black player to appear in an official match for Celtic. This came only four years after Jackie Robinson played his first Major League Baseball game for the Brooklyn Dodgers. So this is all kind of happening right around relatively the same side. At uh, the same time, an interesting point of note is that, uh, and here's where we sprinkle in the fun facts. Gill was not the first non-white player to be signed with the club, as uh, previously a player named Mohammed Salim, who was from India, had been on the books at Celtic before Gill got there, but he had only ever played with the reserves. He never actually made a first team appearance. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. So, and this is where this is where we get to the the thing that you made with the when I said the black arrow. Where we know a lot about going back to say like Jackie Robinson in terms of how he was received and treated by white baseball fans. Like we know a lot about that. Um just in terms of, yeah, we know that a lot of people were really terrible to them and pretty, pretty racist. Um, it seems that comparatively, uh, well, first of all, comparatively, we don't know much about how Gil Heron was actually treated. It does seem like Celtic fans at the time seemed to receive him actually really warmly. Um, so that's, that was like that struck me as like wow that seems very different from a lot of the the black players that kind of broke in in baseball and basketball at the time because uh, that seems like a very different 
the the fans of the team that they're on seem like they weren't <laughs> they weren't big fans of it. Yeah, know? yeah, definitely. Um, so we also don't know um, if this is being the 1950s. A lot of rath- racism and things that were said um, were simply not viewed as being as bad as they are today. And so people didn't think it was like worthy of note. Yeah. Um, which is always a possibility. That's true. Um, so it's just not recorded basically, as far as I can tell what we do know is that Gil Heron got kicked a lot in his son's memoir. The younger Heron recounts how his mother and father used to talk about his playing days in Chicago, where his mother would be appalled by the injuries Gil came home with. Uh, he, he writes in this memoir, opponents tried to deliberately injure him with high tackles and tackles when he didn't even have the ball. It was inevitable when his team played groups from the surrounding areas. His skills would offend the opposition, often leaving them behind feeling foolish and flailing victims of Gil's fancy footwork. There were scoundrels in places like Skokie, a suburb of Chicago, then primarily inhabited by Europeans, who treated soccer like an ethnic heirloom. My mother talked about incidents when opposing players had felt forced to foul, going for his legs instead of the ball, not trying to tackle him, but to injure. Yeah, that's um, that's super sucky. I mean, I, you see that a lot now, but it's more tactical Back then, yeah, obviously, uh, just based off of the quote from the Sun, is that they're a little more racially charged challenges. Oh, oh, yeah, totally. Knowing what we know about British soccer at this point in time, in general, it's not a stretch to think Gil was treated much the same way when facing opposition at Celtic. Whether people were trying to punish him for his skill on the ball or for being black or both, most likely both, I would guess, probably both. Probably. Probably both. Both. Probably both. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Word's good. Also, I hope that that suburb in Chicago was pronounced Skokie uh, because that's the only way that makes sense to me, but I did not look that up. So Who I probably cares, dude? butchered it terribly. And Chicago is mm. going to come after me. They have casserole pizza. Nobody cares pizza. about deep dish pizza. You stupid hot dogs with tomatoes on them. All that stuff. Yeah. 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 All right. Back to the story. Gil was popular with Celtic fans, however, and not just because of his play on the field. He was described as, quote, a supremely interesting human being in a published Celtic historical guide called An Alphabet of Celts. I looked this up. You call them, if you're referring to a Celtic player as a noun, you call them a Celt. I I know this, and you should also know this because I read it on the last podcast. Is it? Is that what you said? I yeah. just looked. I just got so paranoid about mispronouncing no, no. anything involving Celtic that I had to look it up again. <laughs> no, but you are you are absolutely right. They are the Celts when you shorten it, and Celtic when you're talking about the team. Yep. Yep. So. Gil uh, loved jazz music and poetry, and after his playing career, he actually had a few poems that were published, including one called The Great Ones, which described 
all the Scottish legends he played with and against when he played in Scotland. Uh, and in 19, or in 19, not 19, in 2018, the same poem was used in a BBC Scotland video talking about the history of black players in Scotland. Um, so I thought all of that was, was kind of neat. Yeah, uh, it is. He was also known for his style when he actually showed up to Scotland, he was wearing a zoot suit, a trilby hat, and bright yellow shoes. Uh, this was a, a common enough, uh, yet it was, it was flashy, but a common enough style uh, in the United States during the 40s. Uh, the zoot suit, particularly in a bunch of different ethnic communities. Um, what, but he shows up to Scotland, and they're like, "We've never yes. seen these colors oh, before." Oh yeah, what? no, <laughs> it was like like that. That style was like the polar opposite of what people wore in Scotland at the time. Basically, it's like wearing something bright yellow, and, and they're like, "So, so, what do you call this? What? <laughs> What's all this happening now?" Yeah, it's the it's the, know the anything color. other than green and gray. That's the it. color the color of the sun the one day a year it comes out. It's <laughs> that. Uh so Gill was just a loud personality on and off the pitch and fans appreciated for him. Appreciated him for it. They liked they they did they just liked this guy. They're like, "Wow, look at him. Everything. He's got it all. He's got talent. He's got glamour. He's got pizzazz." Yeah. All the flair that you need, all the flair that you'd ever want. I mean, you kind of, I don't know, you expect it nowadays with new signings, but this guy sounds like a trendsetter. Yeah, definitely. I would say. You just have a bunch of like hard nosed, like, I'm going to punch you in the dick kind of uh, (laughs) hard men back then. But now everybody, everything is a flashy signing. Everybody has their own style. Karim Benzema is releasing another music video about his <sighs> life. Yes. It's exactly <laughs> what we need to heal society. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but <laughs> but good for him. He made he made a lot of money. <laughs> now, despite his obvious talent and cult hero status that he had kind of achieved, with Celtic fans, Gill didn't get that much in the way of opportunities to play for Celtic in his one year in Glasgow. He made one league appearance and a few more cup appearances where he scored a couple more goals. That really wasn't down to his talent, it seems, uh, because he played, he made 15 appearances that season for Celtic's reserve side, and he scored 15 times in those games. It's pretty decent goal a game. So yeah, if yeah, Not if you're bad. scoring a goal a game, it's like yeah. what else? What else can you do here? No, no. Um, the bigger problem it seemed at the time was how loaded Celtic's attack was, and particularly Gill playing center forward. Uh, Celtic had a club legend at center forward at the time in the form of John McPhail, uh, who spent his entire 14 year career at Celtic and scored 90 goals for the club. So it's kind of like, this is a lifer. Uh, you know, this yeah. is, this is a, a legend. You stick around long enough. You're going to score 90 goals. That's really just science, you know? <laughs> so, so that was, that made it 
a lot harder. It sucks when you play the same position as like a club hero. <laughs> it's yes. not a great thing. Um, so Gil played in Scotland for two more years for clubs, third Lanark, 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 I don't know, third Lanark, and Kidderminster Harriers. Kidderminster Harriers. Kidderminster Harriers. Never heard of her. <laughs> but she sounds lovely. <laughs> Keeping with his reputation as an outstanding athlete in multiple sports, he was actually also known to be a good performer for top cricket clubs in Glasgow when he lived there. Uh, that was that was another, yet another fun fact. <laughs> I was going to say, this dude does every sport. Yep. He just sports yep. so well. He's a good sporter. He returned to North America after a few years in Scotland to play once again for Detroit Corinthians and then Windsor Corinthians. So he, he hit both Corinthians back up again. Got to hit that quota. He does. Uh, before, <laughs> finally, before finally retiring and settling down in Detroit. Now, I mentioned Gil Heron's son and his memoir earlier, and that is also very important to the story because Gil Heron, the one that we have been talking about for all this time, was not the most famous person in his family. Um, does the name Gil Scott Heron mean anything to you, Drew? No. I'm, okay. I'm sorry to say it doesn't. Have you ever heard the phrase, the revolution will not be televised? I'm sure I have, but it's not ring, ringing a bell. It's not ringing a bell? No. Okay. I'm right, sorry. Well, um, we'll just give you a little education. No, you, you, just, you just lost you lost points with the, the delegation on that one. Well, I don't really care. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, you're going to learn. I've lost a lot of points, but I'm not here to lose points. I'm here to learn. <laughs> Okay. And you're here right. to explain. Well, so, yeah, I will. I will right me. now. Gil Scott Heron was the son of Gil Heron and Chicago jazz singer Bobby Scott. Heron and Scott split up when Gil went to Scotland to play soccer, and the younger Gil was still just a baby uh, at that time. A wee babe. And. Gil Heron didn't actually meet and like talk to his son and and have sort of a relationship with him until his son was 26 years old. Oh uh, wow. So it was kind of yeah, it was kind of a long long more drawn up thing. But the elder Heron's love of jazz and poetry, no doubt helped along by Bobby Scott's own talent as a jazz singer, was imparted on Gil Scott Heron. The younger Heron became a world-renowned poet musician in the 70s and 80s and is most well-known for his spoken word piece, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, which is why I asked oh, that question. Oh, wait. There's, oh, a movie. Oh. There's a movie? Yes, there is that a movie. Just, that literally just came out. Very recently. Judas and the Black Messiah. That was... was, was did, they, did they use it in Judas and the Black Messiah? That wasn't about Gil Scott Heron, but they they very well might have used the poem because it's super famous. Yeah, that movie um, was out, was about Fred Hampton. Yes, it was about Fred Hampton, but yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, never mind. So it's close close close-ish in spirit. Um, 
So he's best known for his spoken word piece, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. He is one of the most important figures in the history of rap music. Uh, and mu- most of his, much of his poetry is considered the forerunner of the genre as a whole. Like People say that Gil Scott Heron didn't necessarily invent rap, but that he was kind of like its godfather, almost. Oh, wow. Um, okay. So he's one of the most famous and important rap figures of all time. And it's his influence is so far reaching that he's been referred to as the black Bob Dylan by multiple people before. Um, He became just a massive figure, not just in music, but also in politics and black culture in the United States. Now, while the father and son did not have much of a relationship until a bit later in their lives, Uh, And indeed, soccer was at least some of the cause of that. The younger Gil Heron, Gil Scott Heron, remembered his father as someone who just loved the game and still would regularly check Celtics scores as a fan, even though he only spent one season there with the club as an actual player. He wrote of his father, sometimes he was romantic and sometimes thoughtful, brooding over the quality of the competition and teammates who couldn't get the ball to him when they were passed. I mean, hey, who doesn't <laughs> who doesn't resonate who doesn't resonate with that? <laughs> so true. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> he still loved to talk about soccer, past games, teammates, opponents ridiculed as their pointless, desperate pursuit of him ended the same way. Goal. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that's that's all the story of Gilbert St. Elmo Heron. Or, alternately, how a slave-holding plantation owner from Scotland's great-great-great-grandson broke the color barrier at Celtic FC and his great-great-great-great-grandson became one of the most influential figures in African-American culture in multiple decades. It is soccer history the whole story. Yeah. But it's, it's also black history. It's Caribbean, American, Canadian, and Scottish history. All of those things just kind of rolled into one. And I think it's one of those stories that dead ball brothers should be all about. It is what we're all about. And that's why you just told that story. So thank Heck you yeah. for sharing that, Adam. Yeah, man. Uh, some sources for the story, uh, Steve Walsh for 11 quarterly, his piece, uh, Celtics black arrow from the summer 2012 issue is really great and inspired this episode. Also shout out to David keys on Twitter who put me onto that article when I learned the basis of this story on Twitter of like a week or two ago, something like that. Uh, we also have Frank Delappa for the Boston Globe. We have the Jamaican Family Genealogy Research Library, where I looked up a bunch of really, really old-sounding names uh, in Jamaica <laughs> whose last name was Heron. Uh, Brian Wilson for The Guardian and Will McGee for Vice Sports. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. That is That is a great story, and... Hopefully um, it cut through a lot of the stupidity that goes on in this podcast. That we normally bring into the world. (laughs) Spews from my mouth and sometimes your mouth, but mostly my mouth. (laughs) Because that really is 
an awesome story. So thank you, Adam, for for telling it again. You I enjoyed are it. very welcome. And I'm sure those of you that are still hanging around with us enjoyed it a lot as well. If you don't already support the podcast and you like this story <laughs> and you want to hear more, you can support us. There are multiple ways to do that. You can give us a follow at DeadballPod on Twitter and Instagram and sometimes Facebook. You can drop us a a little email, a little word of encouragement, a little story that you'd like us to dig into. Deadballpod at gmail.com is where you'll find us there. And if you'd like to support us monetarily, (laughs) (laughs) this feels like an infomercial now. Uh, we We do sell some merch that is in the description below. And also, if you could take like two seconds to tap that five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcast. Uh, I actually to, heard something say that you're you're not supposed to ask for people for five stars. Like, oh, dude, that's since when do we do what other people say we know, should like do? I, I got our or that it might be in like Apple's terms of service. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know anything. They haven't banned us yet. They haven't banned us yet, baby. We're going to keep on asking people for five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Drop us a rating and review, a review haiku, if you will, um, telling us what you think of the podcast, whether it's five stars awesome, five stars stupid. <laughs> yeah, it it was it would be awesome if you uh would leave us a review uh and and we also read reviews on the podcast from time to time so you could get that written out loud. But it's I true. think it is true. It is true. I think that is all we have for today. Yeah, I'm I just certain. wanted to say real quick that real it's quick. not too late to join WTF3L the fantasy premier league of yours truly the Deadball brothers. Um, and if you join in the second week, it's like you get a third wild card because you can choose all the players that did well the first week. You don't get their points, but you know who is looking like a threat this season and who's not. So it's still just not like a handicap you put on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> True. But, um, you can find that information on our Twitter if you want to do that. But yeah, that that is it. I think that, that we can probably I think go that now. covers all of our bases. So once again, listener, thank you so, so much for listening and supporting the podcast. And until next time, my name is Adam Whitaker-Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we will see you very soon. 